I am not a writer with a drinking problem. I am a drinker with a writing problem. Dorothy Parker, writer, critic, satirist, icon. Welcome to the Book Club Juxtaposition Podcast. Two quick little things before we get into this episode. Number one, we do drop spoilers like they're hot, so if you're super sensitive to that, just be aware. And secondly, language, it's not like we're drunken sailors, but I would just tell you <laughs> that occasionally we do use adult language. Adult language? I know. So, you know, you've been warned. In this episode, we will examine an array of Dorothy Parker's writing versus Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own by contrasting the dichotomy between the internal voices to their external realities. I am Tracy May, author, multi-award winning screenwriter, and former educator. And I'm Kimberly Andy, travel writer, former educator, and creator of the blog, Lily Pads of Curiosity. In this episode, we will discuss the following works of Dorothy Parker, Horsey, The Waltz, and Mrs. Post enlarges on etiquette. All of us have an internal voice that at times we dare not share with the external world for fear of judgment or oppression. The genius of these two strong female writers is how brilliantly they rip the band-aid off and show the ugly truth about truth. Virginia Woolf artfully explored the suppression of female writers and how circumstances, largely financial by nature, stifle opportunity, therefore creating a rift between their internal voice and their external reality. Dorothy Parker focuses on the role of society that creates external realities as an impetus for stifling internal voices. In Parker's Mrs. Post enlarges on etiquette, it's a satire of how society can so artfully oppress the truth's internal voice. We essentially suffocate ourselves by the norms that we adopt. The words we use, safe topics one can discuss at a party, and how and when to receive an invitation, all regulated to death. Parker cleverly and subtly pokes fun at all of these rules. So, for example, they talk about, like, what should I do if I get asked out? And you can hear the satire in Dorothy Parker as she's, re- you know, as the words are coming out. And then, obviously, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, so the reader was, you know, you can hear the sarcasm in the words. Uh, so, so, if someone asked me out, what should I do? So, for example, like in Emily Post, she, this is how she starts off the etiquette, because it's the etiquette books that were written by Emily Post. And right. So, this is her sarcastic comeback to it that came out in um, December of 1927. Let me just read part of it, and then you'll see what we're talking about, which was great. So, an Emily Post etiquette is out again, this time in a new and an enlarged edition. (laughs) Like, you can just tell in her voice, she's like, ooh, yeah. And so the- More rules, yay. (laughs) this This is the best part. And so the question of what to do with my evenings has been all fixed up for me. There will be an empty chair in the deal table at Tony's, where the youngsters gather to discuss life, sex, literature, and drama, what is a gentleman, and whether or not to go on to the Helen Morgans when the place closes, for I shall be at home among my book. I'm going in for a course of study at the knee of Miss Post. Can you just picture this? Oh, absolutely. Maybe some, this is this is one of my favorite part. Maybe sometime in the misty future, I shall be asked out, and I shall be ready. <laughs> you won't catch me being intentionally naughty. <laughs> this this is the whole tone of this. How she just keeps going on and on and on. It is so funny. 
Yeah, there will come a time when you will be perfectly safe in inviting me to your house, <laughs> which should never be called a residence except in printed or in printing or engraving. So it's so funny how she just like keeps spitting at this, which is so funny. But at the same time, I found it very sad that it's so true. And that, you know, this is her reaction of what society not only felt was important to write, but publish. So her response back was hysterical. Like, Okay, so I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate here. Are they oppressive or are we just calling them social skills today? Would you look at them because, I mean, I think we can all agree there's probably a pretty big lack of social skills today. Right, so maybe the, the pendulum has swung too far the opposite right. direction. So, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was cracking up when she's like, safe topics, when Dorothy Parker was referring to safe topics, like, I'm thinking of buying a radio. <laughs> that that would be okay to talk about. But in today's world, because of all the technology, oh have goodness. we lost... Would we even know, like, I'm thinking of buying a radio, or we would would we all be on our phones with our heads down? I mean, do we need uh, Mrs. Post today? Yeah, so that you can actually have a conversation with somebody, so that you don't end up on a, you know, anywhere. And, and be so focused on your phone that you don't even notice that the line ahead of you is moving, maybe in a post office or wherever. Like, you don't right. have these conversations. Or on an airplane, do you talk to people that you're sitting next to or... You know, just to be able to have a basic conversation. Or just right. holding the door open for people. Or, right. I don't know, just small things. Small things. But I think it does depend on what part of the country you're in. If you, What the norms are. Yeah, what, the, what those norms are. But, you know, it could go both ways. You could be thinking that, you know, it's important to have these kinds of things um, to tell you what safe topics are to talk about so that you don't offend, which is important sometimes. But then does that go completely Superficial. against... Yeah, what we were just talking about with um, Virginia Woolf on the last episode, when we talked about being able to then open up and be vocal about it so that you don't have to feel oppressed. Where's that fine line? Is, is, there, is it a fine line? I was just thinking, too, when I was reading it, that, oh, my gosh, how exhausting is that? To go somewhere and to be so full in your head of what's, what's okay and what's not okay. Right. That would, you just, would it just be completely boring or would just be like, ah, screw this. I'm just going home. I'm going to read my book. But is it I Netflix think and chill? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's sad because during that time period, people may have been really polite and nice and and controlled with each other. But did you even know who they were? Yeah, that's a was big it, question. You know, everybody's so robotic. Like, um, what's that Nicole Kidman movie? Stepford Wives. Right. That one that, you know, are they all like that where they're all expected to be a certain way and you can't tell one apart from the other? Is that kind of how personalities did that? Now they're so drawn out, you know. Like Patsy Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah the Stepford Wives, Stepford Husbands, yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. I thought that one of the best lines was, um, I fear you've come too late to accompany me on your harp. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a thing that happens. That, I, I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> you've come too late. So really what we wanted to talk about is that how our work shows what happens to the soul's internal voice that lives under that constant and exhausting societal control. And and the three pieces we picked, that Horsey, Mrs. Post enlarges on etiquette, and the Waltz really do kind of, that's where you see that contrast of everything's perfect, to what's really going on inside their brain. Right. So with Horsey, I kind of thought that, you know, that kind of stuff happens. I still think today where couples will have conversations with each other, you know, secret conversations hidden 
you know, inside jokes, things like that. Because Horsey's the story of Mrs. Um, Wilmerth, who is the caretaker for the wealthy couple's new baby. And despite her skill at her job and her kindness, she is the subject of constant derision with this couple who only see her unsightly appearance. What do you think that Dorothy's true message is with this story? I think it's really a kind of a critique on social bias, not only against social class, but against this unattractive woman. Like, And the husband, who's the main narrator, really, of the story, really talks about his wife. And everything he's saying about the wife is talking about her beauty and her, like, she was some sort of China doll, delicate China doll. And that was kind of her value. And then you have this nurse, God help her, she's not the, you know, she's not a, a she beauty queen. She looks like a horse. She, they refer to as horsey. <laughs> and, the, you know, the humor is great, but that underlying, and I think that's what Dorothy Parker does so right. well, that underlying theme of she's getting her point across that he valued, he didn't value this nurse who was obviously great with the baby. And taking care of their Highly qualified, baby. taking right. care of their baby. Right. But she wasn't pretty. Right. And she wasn't... He makes a comment in there, something along the lines of that the other people that worked in his house knew their place, but the nurse sat down with him every night to have dinner, and he felt this burden of having to make conversation with her because she didn't know her place. Well, he was that, was that an excuse, or was that just like a... Uh, what, do, what do you think that's portraying in society? What was she really trying to, like, metaphorically say? Like, that women didn't know their place. That women couldn't sit down. To Unattractive women or poor women, right? For sure. Or, yeah, there were different. Like, classes. don't sit at my dinner, and I have to sit and watch you, right? Because you're and ugly. Then, and then found all kinds of things to say about them to demoralize them, but they don't say it to her. They say it behind her back all the time. So then that's just showing how you can. I'm thinking develop these societal norms where you start to become what you're thinking. Or what you're saying. So if you're saying these things about somebody, it's just like constant reinforcement to believe that they're below you. So so you're kind of validating your own idea yeah. by consistently saying it? Yeah. Huh. Or like weirdly, I think in their case, like um, validating their what they believe their level is in society. And that's what she's trying to say. Right. Like, by suppressing others, you know, right. it's not enough that my candle shines, but yours must be extinguished. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you think that Dorothy Parker shows it through the contrast of what the husband and the wife say behind her back versus what they say to her face? I think it goes back to that, you know, the etiquette thing. So, yeah, of course, they're not going to they're going to talk about what should I do if I buy a radio, but they're not going to be, you know, behind her back. They're going to say horrible things about her. And they weren't just talking to each other. They also were talking to his friends. Right. Oh. Like when he referred to a sea biscuit. Right. Um, the whole story, I was panicked. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to hear him. She's going to hear him. So I was grateful that she didn't know because in the end scene and she's just right. elated over the, you know, the flowers that he gave her. It would be really, you know, it would be really interesting to write a story from the per- her perspective that she does hear them. Or what is her internal Oh, that would be great. Maybe she's dissing them just as much. Right. Which would be good for you, sister. And it's showing the etiquette for, you know, I don't know what makes one right and one wrong. But but then it would show the etiquette of her being so excited about the flowers. But her internal monologue could be, you know, what makes you think that I am just this, you know. Right. um, Geraniums, I think, is what she had. Right, right. right. (laughs) What makes you think that that's. 
Right. And, oh, you know, your baby's crying again today. Did right. you get enough bonbons in bed, Missy? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is the actual rule internally? I'd love that. Life? That would be that would be fun. <laughs> Please write that. Please write that. That would be amazing. Now, it's mostly told from the husband's perspective versus, you know, many of Dorothy Parker's other works told from a woman's perspective. Was It, it seemed harsher to me. Like, Horsey seemed than, you know, reading some of her other work. Oh, yeah, especially compared to, well, I don't know. Then again, the waltz was pretty harsh. <laughs> right. <laughs> From the female did, perspective. When we get to the waltz, I don't remember her talking about his personal appearance. It was more like he's he's like a... He's a klutz. Klutz. He's a klutz. And right. He's, you know, She's just clearly like, not interested. Right. I hate to admit it, I thought the waltz was absolutely hilarious, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And and, and Horsey is funny at times. Horsey's funny at times. Yeah. I think because we're protective or take it more... Um, Personally, I guess that it is a male character that's dishing the, the right the mean stuff. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're naturally going to want to stand up. Did the message hit home at the end when she's made aware? Of, she's made more sympathetic. So when she's driving home in the car with the flowers, did that really honestly change the whole story? Because it put a different viewpoint. Because on Because you're you're kind of laughing right. along through the whole story, and then at the end, when she's in the car and she's thinking that she's these flowers are basically like the best thing she's ever gotten. She's living in a tiny piece of a house. So you're making it. Um, she definitely doesn't have a room of her own. No. So you ha- you're a lot more sympathetic to her mm-hmm. and and thinking that okay, wow, that really wasn't that that funny. They shouldn't be doing yeah, that. Yeah, because, it, so because you do laugh throughout them. the story, and then it kind of hits you that right. everything turns on to Dorothy Parker's credit. To Dorothy Parker's credit, exactly because you what look at it. Message was she sending? Right. What message was she getting out there and, and throwing out? I I agree. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's talk about the waltz. Um, in the waltz, a woman is asked to dance, and I I thought that this was hilarious because when I was reading it. I'm looking and I was immediately pictured myself in a place where they're dancing and you go out because you want to go be amongst people or go out and, you know, not sit at home. Enjoy your night. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy the night. But people are dancing. And to me, I'm not, I'm not one that wants to get up and dance. So you sit there and go, gosh, you know, you have this internal, well, I do. I have this internal dialogue of just get up and dance. And the other part of me is like, I don't want to dance and, and I don't dance well, so I'm not going to dance. And I don't want to dance. And then look at that poor schmuck over there. Oh, that poor lady. She's just, that guy is a hot mess. He's terrible. He, oh, oh, he's terrible. I can't even believe it. And she has this internal monologue and she's so, but in my mind, it's not like she was sitting off to the side going, gosh, I hope somebody asked me to dance. That's true. That's true. And she didn't want to dance anyway. But then, you know, what do you do? You're in that situation and you can't be that snob. And, and I have been that snob that's been like, no, I really don't want to dance. And someone will come up and ask, I'm like, no, I really don't want to dance. I don't I have no desire to go dancing oh come on dance no I really don't want to go (laughs) I'm good just watching and then you have to kind of like press that but she didn't because I think that the um, etiquette at the time or whatever was you can't say rude yeah it would be rude I I think it would be rude today truthfully probably is but right you know but, but I got big balls. I, got, <laughs> I, said, I, said, no. <laughs> I guess you shouldn't feel obligated, but I guess it would be in the way you'd refuse. I guess so. Yeah, you know, like, I'm oh, like, I'm oh, just no, so no, tired or whatever. I'm just like, no, I'm just a good watcher. You don't want me to hurt your feet. But she, you know, so she comes across. She she does. She actually then it goes out there and dances with them. And the funniest part to me is just the dialogue that you're reading when she's out there dancing with him. So. Um, you know, she's asked to dance, 
She goes out. She must put up with this partner who kicks and has these annoying habits. But then she has to, this is the part that, you know, it's like, what is she portraying out there? Just, this wasn't, you know, just about the dance. It's just the dance of life, I think, in general. There's some things that women just don't want to do. But not only do they have to go through and do it, but they also have to put on a smile. While you're doing something you don't want to do. And make the other person feel like, you're perfectly okay. It's okay. It's okay to kind kick of feed me. the male ego. Yeah, it's okay to kick me. It's okay if you step on my foot. Oh, oh, yeah. You want to keep doing that spin? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's okay we when you kick me that. in the shin. I'll right. smile. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, that's dance again. Oh, please go pay them so that we can do this some more. <laughs> <laughs> Ask them to play that same song over and over. You know. Oh, you're so unique with the way you dance. And I just thought, boy, the way she did this was just absolutely hilarious. But so what sad. would happen if she didn't dance metaphorically and physically like if that woman in that story if she just said no don't you think though that that's maybe kind of the point of what we're finding so intriguing about these women is that we are seeing now that they're by them speaking out and putting a spotlight on it that you know hey on the outside you may have heard me say a hundred times oh no it didn't hurt you can kick me in the knee like it's okay but on the inside, this is what's really going on. So now recognize what's really going on. Mm-hmm. I've been polite to you, but that doesn't mean that I'm okay with it. Like, and so don't just assume that. Well, you never said, right? You no, know? right. So I think that you know, metaphorically, and just for the context of the story, had she not gone out and danced, we could rewrite this story a modern version of this Dorothy Parker and show where she doesn't go out to dance and she. She does her own. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, right. she chooses her own partner. She says, no, I'm not going to dance with you. Thank you for asking, but I'm going to go ask him. And she takes some control. And I think that that's what these kinds of stories and, and analyzing these is helping us do, is be able to recognize how far we've come and to be able to not only have this as our internal monologue, but to have Our it. reality and our internal monologue are matching? Yeah. Is that true freedom? Oh, isn't that, isn't that, that great? Yeah, that would be great. Isn't that the best? Yeah. But then again, you also have to ask yourself, do I always want my internal monologue to be verbalized out there? It's, there is some strength and power and... Silence. Silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that. Rethinking what you want to think, I, you know, what you should be saying. Well, the other thing that we absolutely loved about Dorothy Parker's work is her quotes. And it kind of goes back to what Kimberly was saying there a few minutes ago, that she's got all these amazing quotes that you don't even realize are Dorothy Parker's. So things like, living well is the best revenge. And this is one that I absolutely thought of Kimberly when and when I heard it. The cure to boredom is curiosity, and there's no cure for curiosity. <laughs> that should be stamped on my forehead. <laughs> right, and how you explore all these different things. There's just not enough minutes in in the world for everything that you want to explore. Yeah, like before I said, you know, I'm curious about a lot of things and I've mastered nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Malcolm. And she talks a lot about (laughs) 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 she talks a lot about writing, and uh, so she'll say, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I I don't always like to write, but I love having written, and that's that's paraphrased. And but you know anyone that writes can so identify. Yeah, Yeah, so can identify that. Or Um, writing is the art of applying the ass to the seat. Yes, definitely. (laughs) The the internet, though, unfortunately, is is a you know beckons beckons a lot. There are a whole lot of uh, quotes that we could spill out here, but I think part of it is 
we want you to look them up and research and, and have that exploration and have that um, joy of realization as well. So we'd love to hear which quotes you find and send those to us and, and then explain to us or describe where you've seen them used or where you've heard them used in real life. Because or even use them yourself kind of, maybe without even realizing it. Right. And that kind of conversation and seeing that be played out will be really neat to see how everybody can start to see these uh, these different quotes and how they're used or how they've heard them be used. That would be really cool. Yeah, and you know, we I think Dorothy Parker is amazing, and I think she's so fresh, a woman so far ahead of her time. I think she's so far ahead of our time. Yeah. So I just we love her. You can check us out on our social media Twitter accounts at Book Club Juxtas or our Facebook account Book Club Juxtaposition. We'd love, like Kimberly was saying, we'd love to you know get your thoughts. Um, if you could rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, that would be fantastic. And we're getting ready for our next episode. We're going to talk about uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Talk about powerful women that have done powerful <laughs> things and what they've done to write. Have you ever wanted to play God, to create life, to destroy it? What if you could? Would you be the child who wants a puppy but has no real desire to take care of it day to day? Dr. Frankenstein did, and his arrogance would destroy more than just the monster. So our next episode will be posted on April 27th. And we're going to juxtapose Frankenstein with the book, The Hidden Messages in Water. And that's going to be a really interesting and, and impactful episode. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Ciao, Ciao bellos! bellos.